Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Art of Flourishing podcast. My name is Lauren De Silva, and I'm your host. And I'm joined today by Judy Taylor, who um, was a professor of mathematics at La Trinoe University for 23 years. Um, and she has been a math teacher or someone who has been teaching math for a grand total of 38 years. She has also been a worship leader for over 20 years. She has led women's Bible studies for 30 years. And since retiring from teaching in 2022, um, has really just devoted herself to being the best version of who she was created to be in service to her creator um, and really like in getting to know Judy, um, I can tell that she, her faith is such a central and foundational part of her life and continues to do that um, even as she is retired from teaching and is investing in sharing her life, the wisdom that she has curated um, and accumulated throughout her life and imparting it into the people around her. Thank you so much for joining us today, Judy. Well, thank you. That introduction was awesome. Thank you very much. Um, Appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, and so just for everyone listening, just to give you some context, Judy is one of the contributing authors of the Being and Belonging Anthology, which is a collaboration of 15 different women coming together to share their stories on what being human being, being fully being a human being or being fully human looks like in their lives and the paths that they have taken to get to where they are today and Judy was so kind as to sh and generous actually to share her life with us and really like her life story learning to accept and embrace all of her emotions and the full emotional experience that comes with being human um it is one of the first chapters in the book. It is a fantastic way to open the book. Um, and Judy, I know I'm just so thankful to hear from an older woman, someone who has been through marriage, who has had a career, who has had raised children, is raising grandchildren, and is um, in the season of her life where she is imparting wisdom into others. So basically what my question was is if would you be able to share with us what role emotions and embracing your emotions um, has played in your life and why of all the messages that you could have chosen to share as being part of the book, the anthology, why was it, why was it so important to you that you share that? Why was that nugget of wisdom so important for you to share that you prioritized it well this is something uh my daughter alicia is the one that told me about it and when i heard about it it's like i have been doing this my whole life <laughs> and my background is um i do remember my mother loving me at three but then it went downhill from there and you know i studied my mother to, to be, try to figure out what was wrong and uh, didn't find out until 10 years ago. My mother was mentally ill. She was bipolar with a mood disorder, and she had PTSD from her own background. Mm -hmm. So, and having six kids, 
it's like I can just remember as a teenager crying every single day of my life. God has blessed me in the fact that I don't remember what my mother said. I just remember crying every day mm. and wishing that I had another family and all that good stuff. And at 18, when I left home, I thought, I am never going to let anybody hurt me again. And, you know, that was a curse on myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I have heard the phrase, God accepts me just exactly the way I am, but loves me enough not to leave me there. So basically, I had built a big, huge wall at 18, and I, nobody hurt my feelings. That That's the truth. I didn't get my feelings hurt. But at 33, God loved me enough to say, Judy, you think that's normal for you to have, you don't ever get your feelings hurt? You know, do you think that's normal? Do you think that's human? Mm. And I thought, uh, hmm, no, I don't think it is. And as soon as I acknowledged to God that, yeah, that probably wasn't very normal for people because everybody has emotions, everybody feels, but Judy had just boxed herself in. And as soon as I said to God, no, that's not normal, it's like my walls came tumbling down. And I can remember, uh, first of all, being scared to death because I had been, I had been in that little trap for many, many years. Well, at that point, like, what, 10, 15 years, I had mm-hmm. had boxed myself in. So, I mean, it was normal for me not to feel anything and all that good stuff. And so when, when the walls came tumbling down, I was scared to death. I thought, I'm just going to absolutely lose it. Mm. And so I had a friend that was an older lady that I had become friends with, uh, older meaning 20 years older than myself at that point probably. And uh, I I told her a little bit of my situation and that I was scared. And she walked me through it. We met once a week for six months to help me just talk it out. And then what I noticed, I would go to church. And Lauren, absolutely, I could feel every emotion in the room and felt like it was my fault. Mm-hmm. It was like, how does that happen? But I, it happened to me. And, and it occurred for quite a while, I would say months or a couple of years even. And it was like God was, I think what God was doing for me was allowing me to feel every emotion that possibly could be. And knowing after feeling it that I didn't die, I'm still mm-hmm. alive and I'm still breathing. And then I ran across a book called um, Adult Children of Abusive Parents. Mm-hmm. And my mom was mainly emotionally abusive. But sometimes the words are harder to heal from than some of the other abuse things you can go through. But anyway, so, I mean, he he took it from the point of saying, you know, when you are emotionally abused, you shut down completely. So you don't hear anything. You don't hear your heartbeat. You don't hear that refrigerator running. So he had you do these little exercises where you would just sit and listen. Mm. And then think about what you're hearing. And after you got through hearing the refrigerator running and other things, then he brought it inward. Listen to your heartbeat. You know, listen to what's going on inside of you. And then after months of doing all those little activities, the last exercise in the book 
was to visualize your abusers to come over on a grassy knoll. And I grew up on a little farm in Texas, and uh, there it was only 100 acres, but on the very back side of the pasture area, there was a grassy knoll. And I used to go over there and sit under the trees just to get away from all the chaos and everything. So it was very easy for me to visualize a grassy knoll and have my abusers come up. And he's very, very careful to say, only when you're ready. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, you you approach your accuser, I mean your abuser, and you tell them what they did to you. And only when you're ready, you forgive them. I was still in my 30s when all that happened. And so I forgave my mom, you know, in my 30s. But then my mom was so mean and hateful and bitter. That, I mean, that was something I had to do on a daily basis. And at some point, I had to distance myself mm-hmm. because I, I had to take care of Judy. So uh, so I thought, you know, when I heard what you were doing, it was like then from 38 until I am 68 now, it's like when emotions come, what my practice is, is I have to identify it. If I can identify the emotion and look at it, then I can say, oh, that's what that is. Then I can deal with it. Before it was just stuff in the pit of my stomach that made me sick at my stomach, and I'm thinking, what is this? Well, I have learned over the years to not run from it, to run to it and say, what is this, and why am I feeling this? And then what I have noticed, in my late 30s, it might take me three, four, five days or maybe weeks to get over it. Up to present, those emotions, I still have. Absolutely, I still have them. Mm. But I can look at them, and within a day or a, an hour or a few minutes, I can identify what it is and think, oh, that's all that is. She mm-hmm. can handle that. So I thought, what I've gone through, For the last 35 years, if I could help another young lady, maybe hopefully not have to go through as much as I did to get here, maybe if I could help someone else navigate these feelings and emotions. Because like I wrote, they're neither good or bad. They just are. And if we could just face them and and, and learn from them, because there's lessons in those emotions there's lessons in those feelings that god wants us to learn Mm. and so i thought if i can do that for another human being then then i would have ministered to someone Mm. well thank you so much for following through on that nudge and giving us the gift that you gave us in your chapter and even in this conversation um i think And I I just love how you had just said that as far as your theology goes and how you think about God and what you believe about God, that it was God who invited you to feel. Whereas I think a lot of religious dogma maybe has the opposite message for a lot of us, men and women, where we get stuck in um uh, the belief or the story that god actually does not want us to feel 
that God is somehow intimidated or offended by our emotional experiences, that that the goal of the Christian life or of the Christ-following life is to feel as little as possible, right? Um, and that your, your awakening or the turning point in your life was that God was like, hey, Judy, don't you think I want you to feel some things? Um, yeah. And that God invites you're gonna us. Make me, you're going to make crap. That's what I'm and um, I'm also crying now. Um, and that God invites us to feel everything. And I think, um, I mean, we our churches do us such a disservice or maybe it's our culture which has done us a disservice and then has crept into our way of thinking about God. Right. I just, right. I just, I kind of got hooked on when you said um, that God, like the question that God asked you is, do you think that everyone, that do you think it's normal to never get your feelings hurt? And so what I heard in that was an invitation to feel pain. And what I heard in that was an invitation to feel anger, an invitation to feel hurt, an invitation to feel, you know, all of the things that we typically associate with not God. Like we have this like big category in our minds of like not of God. And we put feelings in that box. Um, And I'm wondering if you could just say more about that um, in your relationship with God and your experience and, uh, maybe encouraging someone listening, going, well, I've got this story or I've got these beliefs or I've got these rules around what I may or may not feel and how maybe me feeling angry or sad or feeling hurt means that I don't have enough faith or that I'm not trusting God enough or that I am not being an obedient Christ follower or that I am letting God down by admitting or allowing or accepting my emotions. Can you speak into that just a little bit from your experience? Sure. And I would say because of my mother, those messages were loud and clear. You do not get angry. You do not feel anything. You do not cry. Even if I thank you, do not cry. I'm going to give you something to cry about. And in our churches, I think we hear that, too. I think you, you hit every area of that, that. I don't know if it's human nature that is just built in or if it's, it's a little bit of all of it. And what I believe about God is God wants me to bring my hurts. He wants me to say to him, this hurt my feelings. And tell him why it hurt my feelings. He wants to hear that. I believe God wants to hear every aspect of our life. And he wants us to come and say, you know, God, you made me mad today. I think I serve a God big enough that he can take whatever we have to say to him. And just like a father who loves so much, he's going to say to me, Judy, you just let it all out. And sometimes I visualize myself, and I'm always, I visualize myself as a little girl. I think I could do it as an adult, but I, I have God on a throne. I look up at him, and sometimes I'm kneeling at his feet. I'm right at his feet. And sometimes I just need to feel his arms around me, so I climb up into his lap, and I, I feel his arms around me telling me it's going to be okay, and that you can tell me anything you need to tell me because I'm big enough to take it. Mm. And, and sometimes, sometimes I just need to have him, you know, like, like I thought about this the other day. This was a new thought. 
um, I wanted to feel a little a, a closeness, so I visualized me being a little girl and God being my father and him dancing with me and I'm stepping on his feet as we're, we're having a little dance, you know, as a father-daughter type thing. And I believe so much from my own experience that I can go to God with anything, anything. And here's the crazy thing. He already knows. Mm. He already knows my feelings. He already knows what I'm thinking. So why wouldn't I go to him and just, if you want to call it confession, it's not really confession. It's just going to him and talking to him. God is very relational. Mm. He, He just wants us to come and sit and talk to him. Tell us about our day. He already knows, but he wants the relationship. A relationship is only when two people are having a conversation. And that's another area I think a lot of people get hung up, is we want to talk and talk and talk and tell God what we need and what we want, but we fail to stop and listen. Mm. Because he has so much to tell us every single day of our life. He wants to tell us things and show us things. But we're too busy, so we're running. We're running away from him. We're running away from our problems, and we just run. And we just need to turn and walk into the problem, turn and walk into God, because he's there. He said he would never leave, no forsake us. Mm. And he just wants us, I do believe with all my heart, that he just wants us to tell us everything. So, I mean, if if you grew up, we all did grow up up with this idea that you can't feel anything. That's a lie. But it's just a lie. It's not true. The truth is you need to feel your feelings and God wants to hear about them. Mm. What do you think is waiting on the other side of uh, the courage to feel all of everything? What do you... like? Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> freedom from what? Like, tell us, like, how... What is waiting for me at age 68 embracing every single color and texture of my human experience what is waiting for me when I can feel anger and not be intimidated or overwhelmed by it what is waiting for me when I can feel pain and not be overwhelmed like you know I just I'm imagining my three-year-old on the beach the first time she ever went into the ocean she ran straight in and then got pushed straight over and got sand everywhere. Like what is waiting for me on the other side of being willing to have that experience? Um, why, why should I say yes to this adventure? Uh, okay. What I feel on a daily basis is my connection with God has always been fairly strong, but it's even stronger. Um, Yeah, it's okay for me to get angry, but I don't stay angry very long. Uh, Yes, I have moments of sadness, but it doesn't, it's not at 68. And the things that used to bother me doesn't bother me anymore. It's no big deal. We we, we make two we worry about stuff that doesn't really amount to anything. Mm. So at 68, it's like uh, I 
continually talk to God, which has also been a practice my whole life, but I don't have the distractions anymore, you know, that that I had at a younger age. And it is. It's almost like being on vacation all the time. Emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. you know, it's just I do what I want to when I want to, and I have fun, and fun maybe sitting out beside the pool and looking at the beautiful flowers that's around my my pool because it's so beautiful and it's so thank you God that my flowers are doing so good this year and uh, just sitting and uh, I'm not sure this is answering your question but <laughs> it, it is a great I 68 may sound old to you but I'm just getting started you I know the best is yet to come the that's... best is absolutely and I'm planning on living to be 100 and having a full schedule. So I still have 32 years of living. Well, it sounds, what you just described to me, if I could summarize it, it sounds like peace. Like you said freedom. Yes. But I think yes. I think what we're chasing in our, all of our busyness, ironically, um, and in all of our avoidance and in all of the ways that we suppress and project what we're experiencing is we're actually all looking for peace. And, and actually, I had that word in the in my mind, and then I didn't say it. So you <laughs> said it. So very much confirmation. That's the word. And it, I mean, like I think it's so counterintuitive that we are running away from the things that we need to run towards. Um, That's it. And you know, something else that you said just kind of struck an idea with me, and I was thinking about uh, you. You made the connection between like God as you know our God that we worship and follow in God as a father in parenting. Um, and you you alluded to us interacting with God as a creator, um, mostly from the point of view or mostly from the posture of like a provision. Um, meet my daily needs, God. Help me survive today. Make Please help me make the career goal. Please can we pay off our debt? Um, you know, can we get enough to eat? Can I have enough patience to get me through the day? And I just like, as you were talking about prayer, I think you were talking, was the context of what I just shared. And then you said, well, what if we just like had a relationship? And I think I just made a connection between what characterizes a lot of our parent-child relationships and what you just described. And I think we live in a world and maybe particularly in the United States where there's such a huge cultural emphasis on material possessions and success and career success, right? And accumulating power and status that we, without even realizing it, parent from a place where we think what's most important is that I put food on the table, a roof over their heads and set them up for career success. And I mean, how many of us were parented where we can honestly say that, well, many people had food in their stomachs, had a roof over their heads, clean clothes and got the education and things that they need, but feel so disconnected from their parents as people. So isolated. Like, I mean, I I've said and I often feel sometimes, you know, in my parental relationships, like, do these people even know me? Do I even know them? And so many of my friends would say the same thing. And then I see how much 
our parenting culture mirrors our faith culture. God, I think the only thing you care about is making sure that I have enough to eat, drink, a place to sleep, and a place to work. Whereas the the nature of God's desires towards us is to actually have a relationship with us. He wants to right. know us, or he wants us to be known by him. Um, right. And some of the most powerful parenting I've ever seen, and I, when I think of my own parenting, when I go, okay, that was a good day. Some of the most powerful parenting I've done has actually been in the moments where my children are having the hardest time. Right. And to when I to not experience their anger as disobedience, but as a struggle to cope. To not experience their hurt as an insult to me or my parenting or like negative feedback of my parenting, but to experience it as a child who needs it more love and more support from me. Um, right. And now just correlating that with what you just said about our relationship with God and our relationship with our emotions and how we assume God is not interested or offended. And I think that if we can stretch ourselves enough in our minds to go, oh, I do want to know when my child is upset. I do want to know when they're angry and I want to be there for them when they're angry and upset. And I want, I wish someone was there for me when I was angry and upset. I wish right. someone, right. then we can start to understand the true heart of God towards us in those moments as well. Right. I love that. I feel like you've just like, this conversation is just expanding my mind and connecting dots. You know, one of those uh, pictures the picture is starting to kind of come together for me um, in a way that I think is really helpful. Um, okay, I know we've completely de deviated off, I guess, the script in, in air brackets. Um, what can you share with us? Like, what it so what I'm hoping to do with the podcast and for the people who are listening and part of this little community is I'm hoping to create something like a soul gardening or flourishing toolkit where every one of the guests on the show shares with us a practice or a tool that has been instrumental in their own flourishing, in their own soul care. And so I was wondering what tool or practice from your own life has been instrumental in creating more flourishing and nurturing in your life that you would like to share with us that you would like people to consider um, adding to their own toolkits? Okay. Um, after my 33 to 35 uh, healing God took me through, um, you know, you just don't get over 18 years of abuse mm. overnight. So you still have those thoughts of you're fat, you're ugly, you're never enough. You know, what you do is never enough. It's never good enough. So all those thoughts are still there. Although I was very uh, successful in my teaching because that's what God called me to do. But those thoughts, the, it, it's, like a, it's like a recording going around in your head. Mm. You know, and you keep hearing you're not good enough. You're fat. You can't wear that. You know, and, and so... What God led me to do 
was to replace those lies with the truth. Mm. So my practice, I started probably late 30, which sometimes I still need to do this, is I say to myself, this is Judy Taylor's paraphrase of scripture. (laughs) I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Before the foundation of the, of the earth, God knew me and called me by name, and he created me in his image. And if I think anything less than that, I am slapping him in the face. He's my father. He created me exactly the way I am for reason and purpose that he has, and that I am his beloved daughter of whom he is well pleased. Um. And a lot of times I had to look in the mirror and every day and say, Judy, you're beautiful. Mm. Because I didn't feel beautiful. And I carried, I loathed myself for many, many years. But what I just said, those, those few little phrases, I had to say every day for many, many, many years before I actually believed it. Mm. But I think that would transform a young woman. Mm. If, if, she really believed that she was fearfully and wonderfully made and, and chosen. I mean, to hear God say to me, Judy, I chose you before the foundation of the earth and I called you by name. It's huge for me. Mm. And that he is pleased. I am his beloved daughter of whom he is well pleased. All that just transforms me every time I say it into that that child of God that he wants me to be. I love what you said about a recording. I love that you use those words. That is such a perfect, one of the best word pictures to help us understand what those voices are. That they are not necessarily our own voice, that they are certainly not the voice of God, that they are certainly not, you know, the truest, truest version of us, that it's just a recording that has been, that has taken, for some of us, it's been 18 years worth of taping, 18 years worth of recording, playing back to us, 20 years of recording, 35 years worth of recording, playing back to us, and that there is no real way to erase it in a second, but you can tape over it. And you can, you can re-record the track playing over and over in your mind um, that that is a choice that you can make and you can choose, you can choose what is played back to you. If what you, if what is currently in playback is not serving you, if it's hurting you, if it's unhelpful um, or even harmful, that is, that is golden. That is solid gold right there. Thank you so much. Um, Judy, I love that I got to talk to you today. I wish I could talk to you for another hour um, or more, but I just wanted to thank you so much for being so generous with your life and being so generous with your story. I want to thank you for making the hard choices that you've made over the course of your life, the ones that have brought you to this moment, um, how the, the price that all of your soul treasure has cost you the investments that you've made and just for share, being so willing to share and impart that with us like in this conversation 
in your chapter of the book and in anything that I believe you're going to put into the world moving forward. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today.